0: Podcast. Welcome to the Planet Microcap Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Kraft. Thank you all so much for the support and for tuning in. Do me a quick favor. If you like what you hear at Planet Microcap, please take two seconds and give us five stars on Spotify or Apple. This helps with the search engine so that more folks can also discover and engage in all things microcap stocks. Registration is now open for our next event, the Planet Microcap Showcase, taking place in Las Vegas at the Horseshoe Hotel and Casino, formerly Bally's, on April 25 through 27, 2023. Expect three days of networking, comedy presentations, one-on-one meetings, in short, a lot of fun. If you follow our community and especially invest in microcap stocks, you're not going to want to miss this event expect more announcements on speakers who may, who may be there to pitch a few names as well as a presenting company list to register and attend please visit www.planetmicrocapshowcase.com see you in vegas now for today's show i invited on avi fisher founder and chief curiosity officer at longcast advisors Avi and I start off the conversation reflecting on 2022 and that quickly evolved into how Avi's experience in 2020 set him up for a year like 2022 was for microcaps. Specifically, he shares the best advice he received in the midst of a tough 2020. Don't let long-term investing blur into entropy. I think this phrase works for all investors and in my opinion, can be a helpful concept when assessing and reassessing your portfolio. Following our conversation about 2022 and looking ahead to 2023, Avi and I discuss research solutions, RSSS on NASDAQ, which as Avi points out, articulates his investing process in microcaps. Thank you again for tuning in to the Planet Microcap Podcast, and please enjoy my conversation with Avi Fisher. This episode is brought to you by Stream by AlphaSense. streamrgco backslash pmc that's s-t-r-e-a-m-r-g.co backslash p-m-c avi thank you for joining me today how you doing man
1: great thanks for having me on bobby and just appreciate the listeners also i know there are a lot of podcasts out there and time and attention are valuable resources so appreciate taking the time to join with me and you absolutely
0: so you know, I wanted to dig right in because, uh, you know, we we chatted a little bit about uh, you coming on the podcast and some of the things that we're going to talk about. We're recording this on uh, Tuesday, January 10th. So right at the beginning of the 2023, everyone's fresh, things starting to set their intentions for this year. And, you know, I wanted to first start off with discussing a little overview of your 2022 performance. Uh, you haven't put out your your Q4 kind of 2022 wrap up letter yet. Um, actually real quick, are you going to use chat GPT to, to write it or, or is it going to be all natural?
1: No, I'd not be using chat GPT. And, okay. There's a whole conversation to be had around chat GPT. If you're willing to, <laughs> to, to, to indulge me here. We'll go, we'll
0: go down that rabbit hole in a minute. So let's, let's, let's wrap about 2022 performance. How was it for you? And why do you think your, your portfolio performed the way it did?
1: Uh, 2022 we were down less than the market. I'm looking at down 12%. So 4Q, we were up five, had a good 3Q. Um, I think we were close to even, and then a few of the larger holdings sort of gave up all their gains at the end of the year. Um, you know, I don't really tend to own things that are owned by the rest of the market. I don't tend to follow sort of trends. Um, I'm. I so you know. I, I I tell my clients. I obviously can't promise returns that are going to be better than the market, but I'm quite sure they'll be different most of the time. Um, we had you know strong outperformance in some stocks, some newer names. Research, uh, Richardson Electronics, which I think you had uh, Ed on uh, not long ago, was a good performer towards the end of the year or for the back half of the year. That was a new position for us. Yep. Um, yeah.
0: Nice. I mean, you know, cause I had, I had Artem on, he was my first, Artem Fokin from Caracan. And we talked a little bit about, you know, the the difficulties that microcaps had in 2022. I mean, for you, did you have that same experience or were you just kind of nose to the grind? So like, I know my knitting, let me just find good businesses.
1: Um, in I'll tell you, I'm going to answer this this way and I apologize in advance for a bit of the story, but 2020 was a really hard year for me. Um, two of my top three holdings were down 60%. So like what I think a lot of people experienced this year where they may have had large positions down 50, 60, 70%, that was my experience in 2020. And um, it was a real punch in the gut. Um, Took me a long time to really internalize it, understand what was going on, uh, learned a lot about portfolio management, talked to a lot of, uh, portfolio managers who I've gotten to know over the years uh, for advice and recommendations and suggestions, uh, pulse check, sanity check. What do you do in situations like this? And, you know, there's a handful of people I've known through my work on the sell side before this and in this area where since I've started my own firm uh, who are generous and smart and spend a little time and willing to share Um, uh i talked uh i I, and and it really helped me it took a while it took like from march until august before i could really like that's like almost six months i think uh i had a client who i was deep in conversations with and i said to them i i I can't do this right now like i i pitched them a cross country when it was trading at six it's now like a 30 dollars stock it was a great idea but I, i just was questioning my own sanity um and It was really important lesson for portfolio management. So while I was down the first half of the year, quite substantially, it didn't feel quite the same. I felt more assured of what I owned. And I also had been kicked in the teeth once before. So it didn't feel the same. 2020 felt really shook me up, but I think I came out of it just, you know, a better, with with a knowledge of portfolio management I hadn't had before. some of the lessons related to micro caps is, um, you know, we, I used to own a company called Signer Gist Tech, and it was a company that I, I kind of made a big position in fairly quickly and then tried to help fix when it became clear that they had some issues. And the lesson there is like with a lot of these smaller companies, it's more important. You know, it's, it's just, it sucks to be in a position where you can't sell it. Where, where you own too much and it's down and they're not really acting reasonably um, and trying to fix it is just brain damage. Um, that, that was a big lesson in coming out of 2020 was with these smaller names, better to own smaller positions. And since I'm a very patient investor, see how they evolve over a quarter, two quarters a year before you want to sort of, grow it larger. Um, what we're gonna be talking about later, actually, Research Solutions, because it's such a small company, falls into a similar vein where I've just been slowly accumulating it for the last year and a half. And having watched it evolve for the last year and a half, I've been making it a larger and larger position. Absolutely. Because I'm comfortable with it. It's just, they're, in the course of owning Research Solutions since probably March or uh, 2021 or uh, mid-2021, um, there have probably been, I'm just, kept, you know, off the top of my head, probably five other companies where I made a 1% position and then sold it not long, you know, a quarter, two quarters later because it was just something about the way they communicated, something about their the way uh, they talk, something about the financials, something about their strategy, some change that just didn't resonate with me quite the way it does here. So, like I said, I warned you it would be a long answer, um, but 2020 was my kick in the teeth.
0: No, you gave me a lot. Of, you gave me some good meat here because I think that there's some really interesting lessons that folks listening in can learn from. I, I can learn from as well, you know, and and I'd say before we go into some of the microcap lessons, because that is I want to definitely go down that rabbit hole suggestivism versus activism. I had Kyle Sermonara on last year talking about that. I, I love that topic. But before that. You mentioned 2020 was your kick in the teeth year. And you mentioned that you crowdsourced some some advice and just talking to people on how to handle certain things. What was some of the best advice that you got that maybe some folks could also learn from if they're going through a similar situation?
1: Yeah. You know, there was a fund manager um, who you have probably had on who, who said to, who, who had worked. You know, he, he, he focuses he, not so much anymore, but he predominantly focused on small caps and micro caps. He's on the micro cap forum uh, for micro cap club forum. Um, And, but he'd worked substantially on the buy side. You know, he'd worked at a fast money, New York city hedge fund that I used to, used to be a client of mine when I was on the sell side, big name. And he, he said he, he offered some advice that he learned when he was on and I'm, you know, this traditional buy side shop, and now he's more of a you know long term patient value investor. I think um, he said, "Don't let um, don't let long term investing blur into entropy, where you just decide not to do anything because you're and we're lot you're falling back on long term and patience when you're really just being lazy or confused or don't know what to do." And, and I thought that was really an interesting. Uh, concept it was a really important you know moment of reflection um I talked to I I think since we were just mentioning him I think I may have traded emails with Tim Erickson because he'd written a letter that I'd read where he talked about owning something when it was cheap and selling it when it was expensive kind of thing and I just wanted to talk to him about you know versus I, I I ideally like to own a company forever and we just had a very constructive email exchange. I mean, he's he's terrific. He's a terrific writer. He's a terrific investor. And I couldn't do it, and I, and I couldn't do what he does because he's really activist and really able to dig his teeth into that successfully. Um, but just talked about you know the different ways of assessing you know capital allocation, um, you know, uh, oh, that owning a company over its entire life, st- life cycle ultimately means you're only going to earn their cost of capital over time, which in theory is true. Um, And it just, you know, made me rethink this thing that I used to hold quite dear. Um, You know, I think that, you know, if I could summarize a variety of things I've learned in 2020 from a variety of people, whether it's the entropy or not owning it over the entire life cycle, um, but owning it, um, you know, when they're cheap selling, when they're expensive, is that as a portfolio manager, you know, we like to, I think it's easy to think in black and white buy or sell, but it's where the lines blur that you need to learn how to figure out. We we all need to learn our own ways of dealing with it when the lines blur and it's unclear what's happening or what to do. It's less black and white. And that's the area where I think we make our money ultimately. Um, I mean, and and ultimately what I came out of it for me is that this entire business and uh, revolves around internal IRR, internal rates of return. It's not, you know, a stock that doubles. It's how long does it take to double? What's your compound growth on that investment and how long does it take to happen and unfold? And since I manage separately managed accounts instead of one pool of money, I'm often in situations where I have some clients who are, I have some clients who are always adding money or frequently adding money. I have some clients who are never going to add money for a variety of reasons. So I, when I want to add a new idea to the portfolio, I may have to sell something in their account. And so it really becomes an effort to weigh the internal rates of return. Is this idea, is this new idea better than anything in the portfolio? I need to sell something in their portfolio. Is it better than what's already in the portfolio? Um, and if it's not, is there anything in the portfolio that's better than the that, than what's in the portfolio? And how can I just continually upgrade my expected IRRs on these stocks in our portfolio? Um, and that really clarified for me really what the goal is for portfolio management. Um, that was a big lesson that it, you know, it wasn't the kick in the teeth was the kick in the teeth. It's how do I get up? How do I figure this out? Um, how do i manage how do i manage money professionally i've been you know investing since the 90s um i've had a lot of success with my own capital um but doing this professionally is a whole other ball of wax and ultimately irr is really all that matters and managing a portfolio and weightings is where the rubber meets the road absolutely
0: i mean how have you been able to manage some of the the psychological aspects of being a portfolio manager, when you see in, from a macro perspective, people come in, the, the likelihood of US recession, having to deal with your clients and them saying, you know, coming to you and saying, what are we going to do about this? Do we need to pull up? You know, because despite, you know, 2020 was your kicking the teeth in 2022, you know, did, did, did better than than some others, right? And, and then now with 2023, you know, we're kind of starting off here where there is that, bit of a bearish sentiment you know how how are you dealing with that psychologically as well as communicating that to your
1: constituents um i just want to add on 2020 i'm just funny you know because i see siddhartha sitting right behind you which is really just structurally a hero's journey and um you know it it, it's uh it's a it's a book that is to every book is Siddhartha, right? Every story is this journey, and I think um, how we come out of, you know, their hills and valleys, and how we come out of the valleys, is really determines how we're going to approach the next hill. Right. Um, I, I, each I hate speaking in generalities, but um, um, you, you, you know, one of the things that I lost during COVID was I, I, our, my dojo, which is a, used to be around the corner from me, closed. And it was a place where, you know, three times a week I'd get kicked in the teeth, more, mm. you know, literally. And <laughs> it was, a, which is, I found an opportunity to really project in a, in a much more tangible way the travails of investing, uh, being mentally uncomfortable, being physically uncomfortable, and still keeping one's wits about you. Uh, but it closed during COVID, and I think that may have also <laughs> result, made 2020 that much more of a kick in the teeth. Um, right. right how i think about you know 23 and beyond i mean I, i'm a re- i'm an individual stock investor i i try not to think about so much macroeconomics it's a it's a deep all i have a pithy joke i say a lot you know that to quote Karl marx ma- talking about macroeconomics is the opiate of the investment math- masses i mean When I was on the sell side, we'd go to meetings and you'd go meeting after meeting, six, eight meetings a day, and you're talking for an hour, 45 minutes. You kind of forget, did I say this to you or someone else? Um, And, you know, you leave a meeting where um, the conversation, unfortunately, veers towards macroeconomics. And it feels very self-satisfying at the time. And then you walk out and you have no idea what just happened. I guess it's sort of like being at a bar drinking and you sort of feel like they're your friends. And the next day you're like, what, who, who are these people I was talking to? It's night. like, we all
0: made great points just now. Like, I feel, <laughs> I feel really good about what I just said. Did it mean anything? I don't know.
1: Yeah, no. And, and they're all things <laughs> that, who knows? I mean, nobody knows the future, but mo- most people are barely, myself included, are barely aware of the present. Um, you know, it's only skewed by my perspective. Um. So when I think about 23, I'm just focused on the companies I own and looking for, you know, as I say to my clients, if I could find two or three good ideas a year, I'd be very happy. And I, that I can own for a long time. I'm Absolutely. very happy.
0: So I want to also take a, a step back. In just your... add, Bobby. For sure, yeah,
1: yeah. Um, because I have a little bit of gray in my beard. Um... Only a little. <laughs> for those For those watching on YouTube um or listening Sorry, i have a lot of gray in my beard let's just be clear and <laughs> not a lot of hair on my head you know i i, um, I just shaved
0: and my growth when it was grown out like i found a few myself I, I don't know i
1: i blame it on my kids it's their fault <laughs> totally their fault <laughs> they keep you young and old at the same time
0: this is true should we do th- we should talk more about that no i'm just kidding um <laughs> but the um
1: since i have some gray in my beard i'm a, i am aware of a world where interest rates are above four percent i'm aware of a world where people bought homes on mortgages that were seven eight percent paid eight to fifteen percent on their student loans um there's an entire generation of people in the investment community who i don't think have ever lived through an interest rate cycle because i think the the fed has for a long time disintermediated that cycle and gotten in the way of that cycle so you know, I remember a meeting with a client at Jenison back in 2010, and we were just he, the client w- w- was talking about just the various imbalances in the world at the time. Uh, you know, thinking about he 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 articulated a viewpoint and perspective that was sort of driven around where are the imbalances and is there a way to make money on it? And he was just I remember him talking about the just imbalances in money supply, imbalances in interest rate cycles. And this was actually not a macroeconomic conversation, but just touched on the fact that unrealistically low interest rates is a major imbalance and results in people, arguably results in Bitcoin, arguably results in people spending thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars on, you know, uh, computer graphics. Uh, It skews valuations. It filters through every aspect of price discovery and higher interest rates helps alleviate that imbalance quite substantially. Um, so I'm, I'm, I look forward to higher interest rates or, you know, I, I don't want to have, I hope, hopefully we don't get into the teens, but money without a price is a major imbalance in the global economy. Um, it should have a price. Agreed. And better for it to find the right price than no price. Agreed.
0: So, you know, you mentioned how you're, you know, when you're talking to clients, you know, if you can find two to three new ideas per year, you know, that's that's a goal of yours. You know, and each year, you know, the environment is different. You know, we just, you just mentioned, we just talked about a little bit about what this environment kind of looks like, or most likely will continue to look like for 2023. So what's some of your criteria then when you're looking, when you're out there now looking for potentially two to three new ideas in 2023?
1: Criteria for looking, you know, for ideas for 2023. Some of the criteria I don't think is any different year to year, um, particularly with small companies, uh, a good management team, a balance sheet to support whatever vision they have, uh, a good management team that has a history of success that can articulate a strategy, um, that can stick to the strategy, uh, you know, uh, adjust as necessary, but it sounds reasonable and they have a method of implementing it. Um, they have the balance sheet to support that strategy and evaluation that discounts all of that. You know, that doesn't, or to, you know, that doesn't factor in all the opportunities. Um, I'm not, you know, I don't make an investment expecting to sell it in a quarter or a year. I expect to own these things, like I said earlier. I, ideally, I own them forever, but I'm much more willing now than I was before to just look at the IRR. Is this likely to double in the next five years? Um, well, over, I'm sorry, over the next five years. And if so, it fits within my criteria. Uh, and if. We've reached a valuation where the upside is a little more limited. I take some more money off the table, or sell it outright. So the criteria for this year isn't that much different. I would say one of the aspects that I'm digging in a little bit more is the idea that it's not enough to buy what I just articulated—a good company, management team uh, with a vision, uh, a strategy, history, success, all these things, a balance sheet. It it, you want to buy. Um, the, these companies have to be in industries that are in favor or solid industries. It's, you know, the the extreme pithy example is you don't want to buy the best, uh, you know, a buggy factory. You know, you don't want to buy the best a horse whip company or the best buggy company. It has to be an industry that has uh, a long term opportunity, as well. All right.
0: One more question before we get into um, an idea that I would argue probably exemplifies what, what you just discussed, you know, in your Q3 letter for 2022, um, you, you, you have the quote here, uh, art not only offers an opportunity to notice things a little bit differently, a critical aspect of investing is that it adds beauty and meaning to our lives. And uh, you really couldn't say it any better than Leo Leone did in uh, Frederick the Mouse, which is my favorite book to read to my daughter. Um, and so, you know, when we're thinking about that, about art, and investing and how investing can add beauty and meaning to our lives for you. What does that mean to you? And, and, and how are you trying to, uh, I guess, put that into the universe or put that out there
1: uh, in, into what you do on a daily basis? Well, I mean, I, I think, I, I think the beauty and meaning modified the art, not the investing side, <laughs> um, but how to investing, I think, which I think of as part art and part science um, offers an opportunity to it's a lens on the world. And the way I see it is I view it as a lens on the world. So, you know, I, you, you read on my LinkedIn profile, I think I call myself the chief curiosity officer. Um, I started using that because I was going to all these industry conventions, right. You walk around a convention's floor and um, you just talk to people, right. They're standing i uh, for eight hours a day for two or three days in comfortable shoes or maybe not comfortable shoes. We're talking about their company or their product. So for the most part. They're there to explain what they do or what their company is or what their product is. And it's a great opportunity as an investor or anyone who's curious to uh, ask them questions. And I use that on a tag at the conference I did. Uh, I went to Los, the the Global Gaming Conference to do research on another microcap company called Tabletrack a few years ago. Uh, I had it on my name tag and I was talking to this woman. I was asking her all these questions. She was working for this company and talking about this product. And I th- I don't even remember what their software was. And she would, wait, what do you do? And she looked at my tag and she said, she literally said, chief curiosity officer. Oh, that makes sense. And then we, like kept the conversation going. And I, it just, it makes sense because this is an industry among others, but this is the one I'm in. She's a good salesperson where where, <laughs> where where if you're curious, you'll never you'll never stop being interested in learning more about the company, about um what they produce, what their product or services, about their customers, why do their customers you know these critical questions, why does a customer choose them and not someone else? Uh, and there are some. Some businesses you look at and they're like, well, they're the only game in town. I mean, the question is, why? Why are they? Is it is the market too small to support a competitor? Um, uh, are they do they have a good sales force? Uh, is the product really that much better? Are people just lazy and don't want to switch? I mean, the, the the key in this business and I believe in any investigative business as this is, is to just keep asking good questions. Um, it's and not you know a, what what makes a good question. I think everyone has to figure out for themselves. Um, but I assure you, what your what are your margins going to be next year is not a good question. <laughs> and 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 getting ten basis points of margin expansion is is really easy to do in Excel. And really hard to do sustainably over the long term in a business with uh, many employees. Absolutely.
0: All right. So, that actually now, uh, I'd like to segue all of this into an idea that you wanted to discuss here today. Um, I believe it's Company Research Solutions, right? RSSS on NASDAQ. Full disclosure, I'm not a shareholder. Um, before we get started, Avi, I'm assuming you're a shareholder. For
1: full disclosure, I am a shareholder.
0: Nice. I got to make t-shirts with that. Just saying like for full disclosure, you know what I mean? Um, but anyways, uh, with that... I that could be misread in some places. So. <laughs> yeah, probably. That is very true. So Avi, tell us tell us a little bit about this idea. You know, why is this something that you wanted to talk about here today? And that exemplifies your investing strategy for, you know, previously and now for 2023.
1: Yeah, Um so research solutions came across, I'm going to talk about it, not so much a pitch, you got to buy it, you know, It's a, I'm pitching it to you to buy it, but to sort of articulate how it fits into my pro, how my process came up with this, how it fits into my process, how I think about it, and therefore give uh, anyone who's listening, and thank you for listening, um, you know, a little bit of a toehold for them to do their own research and make their own impressions and decide if it's right for them. Perfect. Um, my compliance will love that you just said all that. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, continue, sir. Um, so Research Solutions came across my radar a long time ago, several years ago, uh, when I was invested in a company called ARI Network Services. Uh, they were uh, they built websites for power sports dealers, so motorcycles, cars, RV. I mean, then it branched into a lot of other areas, and a board member of ARI. Who I had become friendly with said, "You should meet. You should meet Peter." I I apologize. I don't know how to pronounce his last name properly. Jurchik, Dr- 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 um, the founder, and I met him, and we had a nice uh, lunch at a place near where I used to work, and um, seemed interesting, but I was, but he, he seemed to exemplify what you often see in smaller companies, um, which is a, not a very tight ship, so to speak. I was not incredibly impressed with what was going on. It seemed like a pretty good business with an opportunity to generate cash, but it just um, d- did not seem to uh, stand out for me. Um, and I kind of put it on the back burner. Um, and it's interesting. Um In preparation for this podcast, I went and did a lot more historical reading, just flipping through the 10Ks, going back to 07, 08 when they came public. And it really does exemplify that history. I hadn't thought about it in a long time because I'm focused on what happened starting March 2021 when the former CEO of ARI became the interim CEO of Research Solutions and then in October 21, he became the full-time CEO, and as part of his appointment, he brought with him his CFO from ARI. So they got the team back together. Now I, I'm not going to say that these guys are money makers, um, but what from my time as an owner of ARI, I felt that this was a management team that was this was a this was a potentially large company management team working at a small company. Uh, really capable CFO, really standout CEO. And importantly, because part of my research falls back. I mentioned this is an investigative business. I used to be a private investigator and I used to be a reporter. Um, It falls back. I often, to the extent I can, try to do as much um, sort of a background research on my management teams if I can. So Roy, who's now the CEO of RSSS, who was the CEO of ARI, I had previously, when I was digging into ARI, I had talked to, I think, two of his former bosses over the years, and one of whom really, but both of them said very nice things, but one of whom took me through his history the way he saw it. And it was kind of, he added details I had never heard before, never knew before, Um. But really described lauded him. I mean, what a great worker he is, how great he knows this business. And um, so the ability my ability to continue to use fall back on that thing that I learned a long time ago, uh, enables me to sort of step in here and at least understand that the management team here is exceptional. And and you can look at the stock from when he joined in October 21 to today. And you can look at the results since he joined in October 21 today and you're like, something has changed at the company and you're not paying for it, right? Something, something. a lot of material things have changed at this company since 21. I'm just pulling up a chart here. I'm sure you have done it too. But since 21 to today, the stock is down. And even if it were flat, it wouldn't make any sense. Um, It is such a, I can't understate the upgrade that this company has undergone, and I was mentioning. So, so I'm not really. I was never really concerned with this company prior to when Roy joined, because what interested me is that they got the team back together, and I think this is a phenomenal team. So, why bother? But for this, I wanted to sort of educate myself, and and in reading the history, like you just get all the crappy stuff that comes in microcaps. This company was taken public by the founder through like with money raised by his brother-in-law who works at one that was a 25% shareholder for a long time there's still an overhang from this company Bristol Capital because they still own 10% but they used to own 25% of it um all kinds of internal dealing all kinds of like every quarter giving out stock to the to the executive team i'm i'm just going to elaborate just that this year they implemented a large long-term equity bonus plan for their executives and it vests in five tranches so 20 percent tranches, twenty percent when the stock is at three dollars, 375, 450, 525 and six dollars. So here we've gone from the you know crappy micro cap viewed, comp plan where, well, we'll just give them stock at whatever price it is today to, no, we have a long-term plan now and every tranche of it is, you know, 2 to $3 is a 50% return. They need to generate a a 50% return just to get to the lowest tranche of that long-term equity plan. That's a, this is a, this is a different management team. They think differently. They operate differently. And again, and the results are different. I mean, you've seen, uh, I focus on growth profit. I'll, I'll, I'll use this as a jumping-up point to just briefly discuss the business. Um, <clears throat> what they essentially do is they're bulk breakers, essentially. They buy access to uh, intellectual property uh, uh, libraries from Reed Elsevier, from large publishers, and then they resell it through either a, a transaction. Historically, they would find articles for researchers, um, R and D researchers, pharmaceutical investigators, um, academic researchers. Um, if you need an article and you need to cite that article, you need to have access to the article. Lots of people pirate. Um, piracy is probably the biggest headwind for their business, but for large corporations that want to comply or need to comply or operate under the threat of litigation, it's just cheaper for them to buy a ten, to buy an article through them. And the big thing they've been trying to do over the last few years is instead of selling articles each time you buy it, but have a platform. Uh, get a license, you pay $10,000, you're on the platform, and now you have all you can eat article access. That's generally the business in a nutshell. I'm probably leaving out some details. Um, within that business, there's a bunch of headwinds coming to the business. It's hard to handicap what those what the impact will be on the business. Um, but to give you a little example of the sort of area where they would where where they add value to a customer and how it could change in this new world, uh, we have friends um, uh, she's a lawyer. She works at a large university in New York City. And her job is to make sure that whatever research transfer this university does into the private world or whatever research this university conducts within its four walls, within its walls, complies with the, say, whatever the rules of the grant are, whatever the rules of the donor are, uh, whatever federal state regulations are, wherever the company, whatever they're doing. So she constantly needs to reference articles and I was having this conversation with her. She, she, I do not believe she is a, a, a customer of this company because she's more on the legal side. Um, but this, this is an area where if you're a compliance research and R&D compliance person, you have to make sure that your folks in the lab are complying with copyright rules and properly referencing this and they help. Okay, we're moving to a world of open access where any... Money funded by—I think California is one of the first states to do it. I think the NIH is doing this. Any money that gets NIH funding or California state money uh, funding, the research has to be open. So you're—you're—we're approaching this world where, you know, from the most extreme view, all of this falls off a cliff. <laughs> there's no more. There's you know. There's there's no more paywall on anything. I I I don't know how to handicap that. I, to be honest, I don't know how to handicap the likelihood. Is there a cliff? Is there a slope? Is there a change at all? I don't know. But I do know, and I was talking about this with a friend because she she brought it up. She's like, "Well, what about open access?" And I and and I said, "Well, imagine in an open access world, how do you manage all these articles? Like, how do you keep track of it all?" I think in an open access world. It, the business will have to change, but there'll be a premium available to whoever can create a platform for managing this. Because now you're going to have access to more; it's going to be even more complicated from a management side.
0: Well, does the does the 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 customer base change at that point? You know, now are you starting to deal with more government uh, agencies to make it so that it's it's complying with whatever their rules or regulations are going to be in order for the articles to to be okay these are the real articles and it can't be pirated because once you do open right. access
1: i mean that's a, that's a, that's going to be a huge problem I, I don't know i don't know the answer to that and yeah. and and when i was thinking about how i was going to pitch this to you it does fall into the the two buckets i want to talk to are, here's the business here's what they do um you know they at the base level they sell articles and in the old days like someone would ask for an article and they have have a researcher go out photocopy the article and mail it to them right so that's that's where the business comes from they've now moved to a platform model where they're actually the transaction business which is where they actually provide you an article is is a great business high revenue business but they're cannibalizing that by having this platform business uh which has a higher profit margin is lower cost but a higher profit margin which is why I I say I'm focused on the gross profit line when it comes to this company and what they're doing there is uh, fairly impressive. Um, The point of their business is in this first pivot is to cannibalize the transaction business and move everyone onto a platform of providing articles. The next pivot, which will have to happen over time is in a world where everything's open access, that platform has to add a different kind of value. Historically, this has given me an opportunity to think about the number of times in the past where I've invested in companies um, where that was pivoting towards a platform model that was changing from maybe an enterprise solution to a platform solution or a sales solution to a platform solution. And I have mixed results with it. Right. I think it's very hard to handicap that because when you move to a platform model, it just becomes a winner take all and you know, lots of people, it's a very attractive business, lots of competitors in it. I don't know how to handicap what happens when open access happens and whether or not they can succeed in transitioning to a platform model. I don't know how to handicap that. What I can handicap is that starting in March, 2021, and then more fully in October, 21, when Roy became the full-time CEO, they have a really good management team in place. And this is a and I it's my impression, nobody has said this to me from inside the company. Well, I've I've talked to some former employees and some competitors, and nobody said this to me the way I am going to, but I it's my impression that this management team inherited a company that had done well, but had a lot of deficiencies, operated deficiencies throughout. Um, I talked to a, a competitor who used to be an employee, and he was like, uh, we I pitched an idea to the CEO. It was very flat, he liked it, go do it. So we built this thing and it worked. And that was kind of their how they did strategy. <laughs> right. And, you know, I could appreciate a flat company, but it's the success rate on that is fairly random. Um Roy knows how to sell. Roy knows ARI was also a a bulk, ultimately a bulk breaking company. They would buy access to parts libraries and then resell it to dealers. He knows how to build a sales team. Uh, Bill knows how to build an accounting team. Um, When, what ultimately the ARI exit was they were taken private um, and then Bill, Roy explained to me, like after they were taken private, that's when the fund really began because now they had private capital to really roll things up. Ultimately, I think what happens here is they have a new management team that knows how to sell, that knows how to build a business, that knows how to manage an IT staff all over the world. A lot of their IT staff is in Mexico. And and just simply from a more effective management with a sales team, you're likely to see some financial benefits from this over time. I can't handicap what happens to open access in 25. I've read articles that say... Not much is actually going to change because um, you still need access to these articles and people are still willing to pay for it, even if it's open access, because it's easier to find that way through a platform. Um, But in the hands of this management team, I think the odds of success in this transition to a platform, a more widely used platform, are much higher. And in the meantime up until open access happens or not, I don't think it's going to fall off a cliff because I don't think that's behaviorally what people, what happens. Um, They're going to be able to grow this business into something more substantial so that it has a higher likelihood of succeeding in the platform world. Absolutely.
0: I hope I get Roy on on due diligence because I'd love to ask him about, about, all that, that the biggest headwind that the company really is facing is this open access and really what their plan is in order to not only execute the vision that they're talking about with transitioning a platform, but then, you know, looking at that down the road, what, what some of their ideas are uh, moving forward.
1: I mean, I think with Research Solutions, which is a, you know, fairly small company, mm-hmm. uh, you know, just looking at what the market cap is today, it's like 60 million Six market nine, cap. Yeah. I think they have 10 million in cash so call it a 50, uh 50 million EV. Um what you and by the way like they have a 50 million EV they've grown they've uh doubled their gross profits. Uh you know I maybe not doubled uh gross profits going 20% from last year to this year. But for years they were a 5 to 6 million gross profit company now they're a 12 million gross profit company. Um they're doing things right um there's no uh, uh, just building a functional sales team a better sales team a better customer service team a better marketing team a better it team um i think there were technical defi- deficiencies in the company that had to be fixed um you know i i made a small position just on knowing that roy and bill were back And as I've researched the company and done more work, I've been a lot more comfortable seeing how they're operating and that there's a pathway here, a long opportunity pathway here. Um, I I think the vision that they have for this company is reasonable and makes sense. I'm not sure how much of it they can complete as a public company because the capital markets are not very kind to smaller companies, Uh, whereas if they were in private hands uh, with a PE firm that could own them, I think they'd have access to a lot uh, longer-term, cheaper, and more capital. But I think there's an opportunity for them to add on, you know, call it five million in revenue through acquisitions. Um, there, there is. I mentioned I spoke to a competitor of theirs who's also a former employee, and he he sort of he he sort of laid out for me um, where the deficiencies are were in the company, although he didn't call them that um where what the issues are in the space and how his company is approaching it and um and he was like you know he he doesn't know these new management teams but he knew the prior one he's like you know they weren't really good at thinking long term and thinking about this and this and i would say well i've talked to the ceo so here's what he's saying about this here's what he's saying about that and the guy I was talking to was like that all makes sense so the, you know, the, an area and I was actually just talking to the CEO recently, the area that I, I do have a hard time handicapping with him, though, is he's when he ran ARI, like he's a, he's a self-described gearhead, uh, loves power sports. You know, that's his thing. And I said, well, how, how has it been transitioning to this, you know, patch on the elbow academic library world? Where they're not gearheads. and he he, 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 you know, I appreciate his transparency. And also, he said it you know, <clears throat> it it has been hard, and it has been a trend. It's a certainly different world, but he also articulated uh, a few people on his team who've been at the company for a long time who really know that world inside and out, and help him tra- make that transition, and help ensure the company maintains its standing in that space throughout. Um, in short, they really get it. Like, you know, it, I think there's a solvable problem here and in the hands of a really qualified management team can, can hit it. I, I think the companies, you know, I look, like I said, my hurdle rate is basically 15% annual growth that comes out to a five-year double. I think this easily falls into that world simply on the transition in management I don't want to guess, I don't know how to handicap. Can they make this transition to a platform? If they do, this could be worth a whole lot more. So,
0: you know, cause we're we're running close to it here. So, I mean, would you say the, you know, to close up on the, um, on talking about research solutions, I'd say the primary lesson or or takeaway that I think you want folks to understand about this idea um, that you are currently a shareholder of is, is is really is is competent management? You it, it helps. <laughs> it helps. It. it, it I mean, I, I know it means to sound so simplistic and
1: silly about it, but at the end of the day, it's kind of the truth, right? Well, they're re- they're one of the biggest. Is, they're one of the. Bobby, just something to say. Yeah, like, yeah, sure. Under less competent management, they built this company that provides a solution to customers. They're in the largest companies. Who who do? I think they're in most of the large pharmaceutical companies that need need access to something like this to avoid litigation, to make sure that they're checking all their compliance boxes when it comes to copyrights and trademarks. They've built this business that solves a problem for the customers, and it's a fairly sticky business. I think the transition to a platform doesn't change that in terms of the platform instead of buying per article, but just paying per seat and having access to it. What they haven't historically done is provide solutions to, uh, you know, they provide a solution to the compliance or research director, but provide a solution maybe to the CFO or someone on the finance team who can, in an open access world, I think this actually becomes more important because these companies are now building and cataloging more data, more information, um gosh what am i trying to say under less competent management team they built something that solved a problem for customers i think under a more competent management team they can provide more customers that are stickier and possibly wider and have the capacity to really build out this company in a more substantive way to take a larger share of that customer's wallet very good all right well avi we're
0: there you know uh, final thoughts you know before i let you go and uh uh, continue to, uh, to continue to, to go and research and find, uh, more undiscovered opportunities, you know, what, what's maybe your final take that you want to leave, uh, folks with?
1: Well, first of all, I appreciate, again, every, you know, there's a lots of podcasts out there, lots of letters to read. I appreciate your listeners spending a little time with you and me, uh, uh, to learn a little bit. Um, I'm, you know, growing my business. It's, uh, called long cast advisors, separately managed accounts. Um, People often ask me if I have presentations uh I'd invite anyone to go to my website and if they're interested to reach out to me I'd love to grow my business uh, like I said I look for one to you know three good ideas a year and if I could bring on five good clients a year I'd be very happy as well very good well Avi where can people what, what's the website longcastadvisors.com very good
0: well Avi thank you so much for joining me today I really do appreciate it good luck stay safe and I look forward to uh, hopefully seeing you in person soon
1: Likewise. Thank you, Avi.
0: podcast. podcast.